my tech support is my wife. She's standing over my shoulder over there. Well, I'm sure she's not as good as dirt, but she's more economically affordable than dirt is. <laughs> yes, I call him dirt. If you saw his feet without any socks on and open-toed shoes, you'd know why he's called dirt. It would all come together. That's right. So I think I, my wife's wearing open-toed shoes. So. Well, but if you're a lady, that's okay. I mean, that's that's kind of what ladies do. Not men coming into an office. Gosh. <laughs> Welcome to The Aggressive Life. This is the final week of our special five-part series called Five Marks of Summer. And to celebrate the publication of a repackaged edition of my book, The Five Marks for Man, we devoted each week this month to a deep dive into one of the marks. Today, we're going to finish up about what the fifth mark is, what's about that men are protectors. Now, these marks, in case you don't know them, these are not sequential. These are not um, in priority. There's just five things. Every man has five things. And we have weak areas in these marks. Some of us are are better in some marks than the other. But every man that you respect, every man that inspires you, all of them have these five marks. This one, men are protectors. Now, you might not have heard of this guy's name, but I'm pretty confident you've seen his picture. Today's guest is Rich Miller. He is a distinguished specialist within New York Police Department's Emergency Service Unit, the city's most elite tactical and rescue division. Rich was part of the immediate response to the 9-11 attacks. Uh, And at Ground Zero on September 12th, Rich climbed up a pole and planted an American flag at the site. The image was captured by a crime scene photographer, and it spread, giving a shot of hope to a nation reeling. For months, Rich was part of an ongoing rescue and recovery effort at the site. And here he is, years later, years later, he's still doing his thing. He's done rescue efforts in the aftermath of the Haiti earthquake. You may have seen an image of him rescuing a seven-year-old boy trapped within rubble for eight days. That thing went worldwide. And that's just the tip of the protector iceberg. Rich, like, are you ever not in a in a photo that goes viral? How do you do it? <laughs> Wrong place, right time. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's impressive. Well, you've been in in over twenty five twenty five hundred high risk search warrants and entries involving hostage rescues, violent perpetrators, emotionally disturbed individuals, and that's I'm not even talking about myself as an emotionally disturbed individual. I'm talking about people who are violently emotionally disturbed. You've gone into burning buildings and rescued kids. It's pretty amazing. Rich is now retired. He and his wife Teresa are involved in ongoing healing and support for first responders and even have opened up their home as a healing refuge for first responders recovering from trauma. This man oozes protector. Welcome to the aggressive life, Rich Miller. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) Thank you. It's good to be here. Man, thank you for doing this. I'm always fearful that I'm going to ask somebody like you questions you've been asked a gazillion different times. So 
You can just tell me oh, I'm so bored with that question. Just stop. But I think we got to start here where, where you kind of got known or people saw you putting that flag on the pole. 9-11. Do you mind going back there for a moment? For a lot of us as Americans, it's a distant memory. Many of us Americans who are younger really have no memory of it. It's kind of like hearing people talk about JFK being assassinated. I heard about that as a little kid. Like everyone knows they were when JFK was assassinated. Uh, no, no, we don't. I don't. I don't remember where I was in 1969. I was four years old. Uh, I have really no significant memory of it. So some of our younger viewers don't. We know the logistics. Planes hit the the towers. But from your vantage point, just going about your normal day, could you tell us like how your day unfolded? What it looked like. Maybe I'll start with uh, actually the day before. Yeah, uh, please. I was doing a day day tour uh, with I'd say six six or seven of the guys that I I lost on nine eleven the, the next day, and I was scheduled to uh, do it uh, start at fourteen hundred hours, which is two hold o'clock. Hold on, hold on, hold on there. Let me just stop right there. The day before, you were six yeah. or seven people, and twenty four hours later, they're all dead. Yes. Gosh. Um, wow. I was doing a, a, a course what they call Def Tech training. It's where we use the distraction devices when we make entries in a, in hostage situations or or doing search warrants, violent felony warrants. Uh, and we were going through that training course, and, and uh, that week I was scheduled for other refreshers, and uh, I would say half the class that, were, that was there were, were were missing the next day. So I, I was home that morning when the first plane hit. And uh, my former wife had, aw- had awakened me, and, and when 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 our one of our daughters was going off to school, and I when I I got up, I turned the TV on right away, and I saw the second plane hit. I, I knew I had to respond. I actually knew I had to respond after the first plane because it, I knew it would be a a uh, citywide mobilization for my unit. Uh, our, my unit, the emergency service unit, was a is a tactical rescue unit. We uh, we do anything from high rise rescue. Uh, with emotionally disturbed people who want to hurt themselves by maybe jumping off a building uh, or a uh, a bridge, and we'll climb up, talk to them, try to talk them out of what they want, you know, what they're thinking of doing. Uh, we uh, and then the next hat or helmet we wear is a tactical helmet. We do uh, violent felony warrants. We do barricaded perpetrators, hostage situations. Uh, so I I realized I was going to be responding there with a, a rescue helmet. Uh, although we did have some guys going tactical thinking that there were uh, terrorists inside the building when they first got there. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, uh, it was, no one knew anything that was happening. I remember being in a, in a meeting and someone comes in and says, Hey, well, plane hit the hit buildings. Um, uh, okay. What does that mean? Someone else comes in. Yeah. Then they hit the white house. I hit the white out. Of course they didn't, but it was just confusion around the whole thing. But that's just me sitting in Cincinnati in a meeting and seeing TV. I can't imagine in New York city happening real time and you have a responsibility in it. That's, that's mind blowing to me. So then what happens? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like everyone else, when the first plane hit, I, I just thought it was an accident. But when I saw the second plane, you knew, we knew we were being attacked. Uh, so I, I got to the Bronx pretty pretty quickly. Uh, while I was at quarters getting getting my uniform on, 
I, I watched the first tower come down, which uh, uh, ha- happened to be the South Tower, which, which was the second tower that was hit. It was just hit at the right location wow. for that building to come down quicker. I didn't realize quicker, that. quicker. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it uh, again, it pancaked down. We watched it. Uh, so so uh, going down the West Side Highway, it was just after Chelsea Chelsea Piers, uh, uh, and we watched the the north uh, the north tower come down uh, but we just we kept driving in we got to um uh, uh where we, where we could get in uh, you actually couldn't get into where the trade center was but we had to take one of the side roads uh on the west side high off the west side highway into the north cove marina and we set up a temporary headquarters there first uh and then we just throughout that day uh you know looked for looked for uh, survivors um we knew we, we knew we lost a lot of guys. Uh, yeah, so you lost your friends because they rushed into the building, and then it collapsed on yeah. them. They died. Yes, yes. When, when you when you came up to a situation like that, was there any thought in your mind that it actually could collapse? So, like, were you are you going in there saying, "Hey, I have a fifty fifty shot that I I might die," or are you going in there? Just you don't think that at all. You just are going in to protect. Uh, yeah. I mean, when the North Tower came, or the South Tower came down, we knew we were going in. We were still going to be going in to the North Tower because uh, there's still people in there. Uh, so, you know, all, oh, good. So you you already saw one of them went down. That could be happening yeah. this time. Yeah, yeah. Because there there was still there was still hope that the North Tower would stay up and we'd still be able to rescue people. Yeah. Uh, but um. You know the, the teams that were in there. You know they were they were still fighting. Even even though the, the call was to get them out, there were still guys that that I I know personally. That you, you, I mean, you'd have to you'd have to drag them out. You know right. because they they knew there were people in there that needed needed help. Yeah, we always put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else, or at least I do. Think about what would I have done. I would love to think that I would have rushed in that building and done anything possible to save somebody. But if I just saw one building come down, I don't know what, if I did, would I do it because uh, it was positive peer pressure of other people around me who were going to do it, so therefore I did it? Was was I going to do it because I felt a surge of machoism was I going to do it because I felt a surge of love, like Jesus steps onto a cross and takes a hit for me? So I think to myself, I'm going to step into a building and take. I, I don't know. Like for you guys in your minds, which of those three or option four, five, six, are you thinking, or you don't, or you don't think anything? It's just cloud, and you go in. Well, what, I, what I'm getting to know about you, Brian, and and reading your book, Five Marks of a Man, uh, I know you would have been in there. Um, you know. I, you're an adventurer too, you know, and, and I think a part of being the kind of work that we do, yeah, it, it, you know, you have to have faith, right? Uh, you know, that kind of work also requires a, a guy who seeks adventure as well. Hmm, interesting. Uh, you know, it takes a lot to go up on top of a bridge, uh, especially the George Washington Bridge or the Verrazano Bridge to talk somebody down uh, <laughs> who, who may pull you with them. Right. You know, uh, I think it's in our, our DNA when we take on that kind of job. Interesting. Um, it's our it's our calling. Hmm. Um, well, from what little I know of you, you've had a pretty 
difficult life. You had a, a difficult childhood. You've weathered a divorce. You've had multiple moves. You've been in and out of poverty. Um, you've got you've had a very full, in many respects, a very very painful life. Where did you learn the protector piece, or is that not something that was learned? That's just something you felt was stuck in you at birth. It's funny because stuck at birth is could possibly could be possible. I don't, I don't really give it that much uh, that that much thought, but but uh, but I know as a, a young child, uh, you know, my my mom and dad separated when I was four, and I think they were divorced by the time I was five, and I had a little sister. And I, and I always remember my dad saying, you know, you're the man of the house. You got to look after your little sister. And I was only five and six when he would say that. And then, you know, they both remarried by the time I was like seven or eight. I think they were both remarried by then. And I had later on had uh, two other sisters, one from each of their marriages. And when my dad had gotten sick, um, he had said, uh, he would take me for walks and, and just say, you know, you've got to look after all your sisters, all your sisters. <clears throat> you know, and that included not only his biological daughter, but my other sister from my mother's yeah. marriage. You know, so I, I think I always had that from from my dad. But um, I I would say even even with in school, uh, you know, I <laughs> I didn't live in good neighborhoods at, at a certain time, and and uh, I, I remember. It was not long around the time of the '67 riots. You remember the late late '60s when the riots were going on. My friend across the street uh, was I don't know if I, I can use his name. I guess Jerry Robinson. He later grew up to be a state trooper, but um, he was he had he wore glasses and he was getting picked on by other other kids that he was actually friends with. I mean, he, you know, he grew. I was kind of new to the neighborhood. I'd only been there for a year in that neighbor on that block, but um, you know, he he. You know, they were African American, and he was, and, and they were picking on him. And I, and I said, uh, "Hey, leave him alone." And they, they, they did leave him alone. Mm. But then they turned on me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I learned. I learned. You know. Yeah. I learned. You know. I, and years later, uh, my wife and I were sitting around a table with my mom, and, and my mom was talking about it with other people. And I said, hey, "Mom, um, you remember that?" And she goes, of course, Richard. And I said, well, mom, why didn't you stop it? And she goes, I wanted you to learn a lesson. Don't stick up for black people. Don't stick up for black people. That's the lesson. What's the <laughs> lesson? What's the yeah, lesson? I, I, I still can't figure it out. But, <laughs> but you know, she, she just, no, you just you know, know where to put your, stick your nose into. I don't know. <laughs> you know but, I, so, I hope but you <laughs> No, right. You did the right uh, thing. And sometimes you get, uh, you get crap for doing the right thing. It's the way it works. Yeah, ex exactly. You know, I, uh, well, but no, I've done it again. I've right. done it again, you know, it's, you know, but, and I, and I had, I, you know, I, I always looked, looked after the underdog. I always felt, you know, so. Today's episode is brought to you by AG1. I gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a bit sluggish, not confident I was getting all the nutrients that I felt that I needed. And I thought maybe this is an easy solution. So I drink AG1 in the morning. 
I love doing the morning. I do it on an empty stomach. It forces me to get 12 ounces of water into my system. I love doing something proactive and aggressive to make me feel better and at least give me peace of mind. AG1 is designed with this kind of ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. Each scoop has 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash aggressive life. That's drinkag1.com slash aggressive life to take control of your health. Check it out. Big news, pre-sales for the next two books in the Five Marks of a Man library are open right now. It's almost like we could say the Five Marks of a Man trilogy. Almost. Yeah, there's like almost. Lord of the Rings trilogy, and then there's... The Five Marks trilogy. Five Marks of trilogy. <laughs> yeah. uh, not quite the same <laughs> the same writing quality, but but close. Close, very close. Close. Very close. So this is includes a repackaged edition of the original, along with updated artwork and a new preface, and an all-new tactical guide designed to be used with a group of like-minded dudes giving you challenges, prompts, discussion questions to work the marks into your life. Take my word for it, this isn't your grandmother's fill-in-the-blank guide. It's unlike anything you may have experienced before in written form. Pre-order either book, and you'll get access to a limited edition Five Marks poster. Get all the details and claim your poster over at bryantome.com slash Five mark. That's bryantome.com slash five marks. Now, back to the show. You mentioned a good line earlier. You said your dad and you were five. Said said you're the man of the house now. Or six. You're the man of the house now. I don't I don't know that that is a vision that is politically correct enough to paint for our young our young men, our young boys. You're the man of the house. I mean, we all know what that means, but I think parents are afraid to say that to their young boys. Um, but I think what's probably instilled in that is this primal understanding that we have that men are protectors. I'm not saying women can't protect. They certainly can protect uh, and they do protect. I just uh, remember a study I saw, I think it was by the Carnegie Institute that of the number of people uh, who will just call them heroes, who are walk-by heroes, meaning they're walking on a street and they see somebody getting mugged or something like that and they step in and stop it, 90% of those people are men. It's like we're just wired to do that more so, which causes us to say things like, you're the man of the house now, which sounds, sounds incredibly sexist. But I think there's something special about that. Your thoughts? Yeah, you use that word primal, right? Yes. Um, to me, men have always been the protectors, been the the, the warriors, the the, the hunters. Uh, you know, to feed their families, right? Uh, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I, a lot of women that can really handle themselves very, very well. Of course, and I've, and I've and I've also worked with a lot, of them. and and I and I also say that you know one of my biggest protectors is 
is my wife. Right? No. Uh, but you know, and, and I and I'm her protector. I I will do anything for her. Right? Yes. Uh, but um, for, throughout history, you know, all the way up until the 20th century, men were the ones that went off to war. They were the troops. Yeah. Is that, uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Well, I wonder today. There's not the as many classical ways to protect. Fortunately, because we're not really in war, I get, we're, it seems like we're in endless skirmishes around the globe for one reason or another. But you know, there's this is not the era of World War II or something like that. People are invading our our country, so we have to protect our families from invasion. Which, thankfully, thankful, thankful, thankful. There's not a lot of obvious ways to protect that are stereotypical, if you will. So what we're left with, it seems to me, is uh, I'm going to trash somebody on social media who believes something they they shouldn't believe, or I'm going to shame somebody into doing X, Y, Z. I, I wonder how much of it is a mutated, bastardized protection gene that we don't know what to do with that causes us just to be dickheads. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh Maybe that maybe that phrase "dickhead" bothers you. No, I'm sure, no, no, I'm no, sure you've never no, heard no, that in your life before. No, you're in my I'm wheelhouse. Sure. That. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just no, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking something else as you were speaking. I'm sorry, and I kind of, you know, been hitting the head a few times, fractured skull too with work and a couple of concussions, but Have you? you know, and. A few motorcycle accidents, like you know, you like motorcycles. Oh, that's right. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, here you um, still are. After all of that, you're still uh, living, talking, breathing, walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's kind of got. That's what guys are. Our generation. How old are you, Rich? I'm 63. I just okay. turned uh, just turned 63. Last so you're a little older than me, and and you've had even a more strenuous life than I have, being in the military and being in rescue operations. I've not done either one of those things, but you know, kind of our generation was the generation that regularly were in the emergency room. I was just talking yeah. with a parent with young kids recently. I was like, you 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 don't realize that our generation. It was a monthly occurrence that somebody was in the emergency room. And we always stitched oh, yeah. I can't it's hard to find a parent who's ever had a child who's had a broken bone because you're not breaking anything when you're when you're sitting there using your thumbs on a screen, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I was uh five years old with a broken leg on a seesaw. So, you know, I remember. Yeah. Ban that seesaw. Yeah. Seesaws are awful. I hope they got it off the playground. <laughs> yeah. So I, right. do you think with the, with how the culture is changing and how there just isn't as much classic physical things happening, are enrollments going down in lines of work that you've historically been drawn to? Are they having a trouble, having a hard time finding people to be in the rescue division and or, or not? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, uh, recruitment's down, that's for sure. It is. Uh, and I also hear with the military, too, recruitment's down. Right? Yes. I don't know the whole reason why, but uh, but I but I think it is that this, we're, we're not raising a lot of boys to be men right now. Right. I, I think uh, a lot of, a lot of children, are, I mean, a lot of boys aren't growing up with it, without without God in their life, yes. and, and and without and and without the spirit of of, of uh, the, uh, the connection to our 
our country. Right. Yeah. Right. There's uh, and with our and, and with our fathers. Yes. Another fathers yeah. in the household. Right. Many of them have actually not been protected. It's one of the things that dad does. He just he protects you, protects you emotionally, intellectually, all that stuff. Have you had many classic protectors in your life, Rich? Yeah, I, I mean, like I remember my my dad up, up till he passed, but but I'd say a lot of my uncles looked after me. Uh, two uncles in, in, uh, that I remember who were Marines uh, who kind of steered me towards, like, if you're not going to go to college, the military is the next best thing for you, right? And, and uh, I loved playing lacrosse and I loved playing football, but I I knew that it probably wasn't going to be my livelihood. So uh, I had gotten into a fight in school and then I uh, had gotten suspended just before Christmas and, and it was going to roll into right after Christmas, coming back in January. It wouldn't be the first week back to school. My stepfather was pretty upset with me and, and uh, a girl I was going out with that just broken up with me too. Uh, so uh, December 28th of 1978, I woke up in the morning, went down to the recruiting office, walked in. It's a little after 0700 hours. And, and uh, I always say this, if any one of those doors was open, I'd have joined any one of the branches of service. But I, went, but I, I always wanted to go in the Marine Corps, but I went down the hall. So I think God was watching out because I think he wanted me to be a Marine too. So, so I walked down the hall and, and that last door on the left was open and, and the and the recruiter was standing there shaving in front of a mirror with a white T-shirt on and his dressed blue trousers. And I walked in, I said, hey, and, and I startled him. He looked at me and I told him, I want to join. And uh, he said, I'll be right with you. Sit right down. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, but when they put the book down in front of me of jobs in the service, I saw military police. And I said, ah, that's something I would like to do. And and uh, the gunnery sergeant, uh, gunnery sergeant Alvarez, I'll never forget his name. And the recruiter was uh, Rick Frank. So Staff Sergeant Rick Frank. And he, he said, if you want this, you've got to graduate school. My recruiter went back to school with me in January, the first week of January, sat down with my dean, the principal, and we just said, I'm going to be a good kid. Oh, wow. <laughs> Finish school. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So, yeah, I, I went right after high school. Good for them. Yeah, if I could have, um, I was looking in the Marines as well when I was in high school, mainly because I didn't want to go to college and I wanted to rebel against my parents' scholastic standards. <laughs> you know, if it had crossed <laughs> my mind to just drop out of high school and join the Marines, I probably would have done that. It hadn't crossed my mind. I thought I had to finish high school first. So, <laughs> Probably good for me. Good for me. I stayed. That was a, that was that was a good thing. So now, now, Rich, you are, you've been a protector your life, been paid to be a protector. Now you're retired. Is there any way that you find yourself protecting right now? Yeah, I, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, uh, I've been out since 2011. It was, uh, it, it kind of cascaded when I was deployed to Haiti with uh, New York Task Force Team One FEMA. I got injured. I injured my knee, which required a surgery. And I rushed myself back. I, I was coming up to my 23rd year. And, and that's when I got out in 23 years. But but I was really hoping to make 25. A few months later, I went down a flight of stairs with a emotionally disturbed person. Uh, she had dropped a knife, but I rolled down the stairs with her and hurt my back. Yeah. Uh, and that required a surgery. And um, I, I But I rushed myself back. And uh, a few months after that, we had an emotionally disturbed person on the subway and going back to your book, uh, Dick Tough. Yes. Dick right? Tough. Yes. Um, right. Uh, so it was, uh, June of that year. 
we had a motion disturbed person on train tracks banging. He was a naked emotionally disturbed person, six foot four, a little over 270 pounds because the gurney was over the, the, he was over the weight of the gurney. He was banging on the subway, you know, with the, it was rush hour, five o'clock, all the trains are stuck in the subway. And, uh, we chased him for a bit, me and my partner and fought with him. Uh, and eventually three other officers. Uh, so five of us and three tasers fought with him and I ripped, my shoulder and my bicep, and I, I, I'm pinned, like, probably like Dick Tuff is. Yeah. Lost his right. bicep, right? Uh, ended, you know, still ended the fight, but we, we he wore us out and we wore him out, you know, but we finally gave up. One guy. But that was, Five of you and one guy. What, one guy. Wow. One guy. He, he, what happened was he crawled under the train uh, in this, uh, that was stuck in the subway tunnel, and I went under there first to get him, and I went to dry taser him, which I knew if I tasered him with – the cartridge tasers that where the darts come out yep. and wires would wrap around. So I, I, I unsnapped the, uh, the cartridge taser and I tried to dry taser him and cuff him, but we both fell in off the axle of the train onto the tracks. My partner crawled under. And then by that time we had support, but for when he was on PCP. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was the last job of my career uh, actually. And uh, when I retired, I retired with injuries. I didn't. I didn't want to go. It was. It was actually uh, the department doctor when I went in to see him, um, and uh, for his evaluation, he handed me my file and said, "I've submitted your file for uh, retirement for medical retirement," and that's where that cascaded to. I didn't really want to go, and my uh, my uh, when I came back and to truck three where I was working at that time and told the guys, yeah, they were all happy for me. I don't know if it was whether to get rid of me or what, but they were happy for me. I wasn't. I, I always wanted to get tased. I always wanted to get tased. Can I get tased uh, really? without pissing off a police officer? Cause I, I'd like to try sometime. Uh, yeah. I, you know, come to the city and I'll ask some of the guys if they, you know, they want to help out. You can do that. You can just Especially go. when they're hey, doing training. On. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I want to try. Dirt, you interested in getting tased? I don't know that I'm that interested in it, but I would love for you to get tased. I, you're about the size of a taser dart. I mean, it would not, you six. That's going to wear me out. Yeah, they probably, couldn't, they probably couldn't find you. You're, you're kind of small target. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Is it true that you yeah, can't I, pull a trigger on a taser on somebody until you've been tased yourself? No. Uh, well, at the time when I went to ESU, uh, it, it wasn't mandatory that you had to be tased uh, to to complete the course. But uh, the instructors made it, you know, uh, impossible not to say no. Yeah. It's (laughs) empathy. Like it's easy to pull the trigger on somebody if I haven't had it done to myself to know what I'm feeling. Right. That's, that's true. That's That's tough. uh, yeah. Well, we're talking about a lot of the physical ways that men protect, but it's not just physical. It's also we protect each other mentally. We protect each other emotionally, spiritually. Does that fit into your story at all? Oh, yeah. So yeah, going back to, uh, you know, so so when my career ended, I didn't feel like a protector because here I was with all these injuries and here I was out now. Right. And uh, and it wasn't that long after I we moved from White Plains, New York, up to uh, Connecticut uh, because her mom had gotten gotten ill, and we moved her mom in with us until uh, she passed of cancer. You know, and and, uh, and t- until one of my my daughters through, from my divorce uh, wanted to move in with us, and and then I had to step up for her, and mm. also, you know, I still help out with uh, officers in, in distress uh, or going through some some issues in their life, especially after. 
you know, uh, after a, a shooting uh, or going through a divorce, um, some other family issues, maybe uh, the loss of a partner. Uh, so, you know, so I'm, I'm privy to a lot of their personal conversations and, and, and what they and how they feel about work nowadays. Yes. And not, not just the NYPD. My, my wife and I uh, found this place and we when we found it. We felt it was a respite for us. But we also felt it wasn't just a healing place for us, but we wanted to help others. So while doing that, I get to hear what, what they share in, in their life, and especially with, through work. Uh, and like I said, we just don't do it for members of the NYPD. It's uh, pretty much from the tri-state area. Uh, we've had some come from a further distance away. And you hear the nightmares of what they go through every day, you know, uh, for in my generation of work prior to 9-11, um, it wasn't that we were, we had a lot more respect for uh, on the streets than they, than they have today. And, uh, and you see that the way uh, society has changed towards law enforcement, it's changed towards just everyday people. Hmm. You know, people young, I, I find that the young don't, don't uh, respect the older anymore. Uh, it's, and I think it goes back to not, not having a father figure in the home or yeah. uh, someone of authority around them all the time. Well, and, Rich, and this they, has been great. Thanks for opening up your your mind and your life to us, and um, your encouragement and everything else. It's been good for us to just have a view of somebody who's kind of on the other side of of comfort or normalcy that the rest of us live in. The things that you've done and experienced pretty, pretty cool and pretty inspiring. And thank you so much for being a protector for so many people. And I think you protected us today by giving us a good, a good mind shift. So, Hey friends, I don't know what it is for you today. The Bible says there's victory in the council of men. You're going to give somebody counsel. Are you going to nurture somebody emotionally? Do something. Step into somebody else's world. Protect somebody else's world. That's part of who God has made you to be. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Great. We got it. Great, Rich. Great, Brian. Thank you. And you're doing such a great. I mean, I, I can't get I love your book. Um, I know I'm getting all the others. <laughs> uh, one day I'd love to, love to visit Man Camp. Yeah. What? What do you mean one day? Why not this year? Why not September? When, when in September? I'll have Scott. What's well, October? I'll have Scott. Uh, Scott, reach out. Yeah, yeah. I'll have Scott give you the details. That'd be cool. Oh yeah, that, that would be. Yeah. All right. Thank you. You'd love it. Thank you. you would be right up your alley. A lot of vets there. We find that um, it's a place where, um, gosh, more of the prototypical. Uh, man shows up. I mean, prototypical. I don't mean. I don't mean like not the kind of guys that Hollywood portrays, who are real men. But you know, not that kind of button-up thing. Got, got a lot more blue-collar and first responders and and um, veterans. Uh, more of them per capita than probably any other place where you go to. It's pretty cool. I'd, I'd love, love to visit. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it a lot. Take care and God bless. Thanks for joining us on this journey toward aggressive living. Find more resources, articles, past episodes, and live events over at bryantome.com. 
pre-orders for my new books, a repackaged edition of The Five Marks of a Man, and a brand new Five Marks of a Man tactical guide are open right now on Amazon. If you haven't yet, leave this podcast a rating and review. It really helps get the show in front of new listeners. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.